Grace and joy to you, family. Oh, it's so good to be in the house of the Lord today. I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm excited because I got my family over here on the side. My beautiful bride. I love you, dear. I've got my beautiful daughter. I got Cartier over there. Amen. And I've got all you in front of me. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me as we prepare to dive into God's holy word today? I won't keep us too long, just long enough. Amen. Today we're in Genesis. We're in Genesis chapter 11, and we'll start at verse 1. Genesis chapter 11, verse 1. I want to thank my pastor, Pastor Wilson. Pastor, I thank you for this opportunity. It's pastor appreciation, and you allow us to preach in your pulpit, and I'm grateful for that, so thank you. Are you there, Genesis chapter 11, verse 1? And it reads, Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to the city and the tower which the children of man had built, and the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. So come, let us go down there and confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them all over the face of the earth. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you today. We thank you once again, Lord, that in your mercy and in your grace, that you'd allowed us to come once again to hear your word. To hear this word that is the bread that feeds us, O Master, that nourishes us so that we may grow into the men and the women that you have desired for us to be. Father, I ask that you would forgive me, that you would cleanse me of my sins, that, Father, as I stand here and I proclaim your word, that you would direct me, that you would guide me, and that the words that I may say would please you, they would honor you, they would lift you up. I pray that someone is encouraged today. I pray, O God, that ultimately somebody is healed forever because they say, yes, Lord, to you today. So, Father, we thank you. We praise you. And it's in God's uh, mighty name, it's in the mighty name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen. Family, as we, as we look at this text today in Genesis uh, chapter 11, it's in this story that we once again are shown how our sins separate us from God and cause God to take action to correct us and to help us to uh, be conformed into the image that he desires from us. Even though we as people have been disobeying God since the Garden of Eden, 
God has continued to show his love for us. And because of that love, he shows us his mercy. As we get to today's story, it's been about 339 years since God flooded the world. Since Noah's ark sailed and landed. And when they got off the ark, God gave Noah and his family a command. He told them to go and spread out across the land and to populate it. Those were the words in Genesis 9 and 1. It says, And God blessed Noah and the sons, and he said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. This means that God's will for the people was to go and to have children and to fill the earth with those children. So for more than 300 years, the descendants of Noah spread across the face of the earth. They followed the instructions of God, and they fulfilled his great plan. They were moving, and they were multiplying, and they were moving, and they were multiplying. But somewhere along this journey, as as this great group of descendants continued from Mount Ararat, they decided to discuss their life and their path and maybe even their predicament. So here the people decided to do what they wanted to do and not to listen to God again. This group of people on this particular path and journey, uh, they called a committee meeting, right? And they decided that they were going to form their own plan. You know, why? Why would they do this? Maybe it's because they had been so long since they'd seen God's punishment that they forgot who God really was. So maybe they made up in their minds to disobey him. They decided to sin. Now, we know what sin is, Right? Sin is, is anything that, that, uh, that disobeys God's holy word, that disobeys his holy will, that disobeys his instructions, and it separates us from him. So, so, so they decided to sin, and, and as we take a look here, I, I ask myself, what were their sins? And the first one I see is that they decided not to move and to stay where they were, right? God had told them to go and to spread across the earth, be fruitful and multiply, But they decided to make up their own minds and stop moving and settle down. Now, family, this is a willful decision that they made. And it's just like the decisions that we make when we decide to disobey God. We make willful decisions. They had come from the mountains in the east, and then they found themselves in the plain of Shinar, is what the Bible tells us. It says they decided to stay put. They decided to follow their own desires. And I'll tell you, I, I don't think that they totally did this on their own. Because I believe that there's an influence that works in this earth that causes us to want to, to disobey God. We saw it all the way back at the Garden of Eden, right? Satan is working on the earth and these people. He got them to question if God's plan for them and for their lives was good. Just like with Abram and Sarai, the enemy got into their heads and he convinced them that God couldn't. Or God wouldn't keep his promises. So they decided to stay put. Why did they decide to stay? Well, again, I believe that Satan deceived them into uh, understanding what God really wanted and desired for them. Maybe he pointed out how far they had come, how far they had traveled. Maybe he reminded them of the difficulties of, of navigating the mountainous lands. Maybe he painted a picture of this new area that they were at. And he showed them that it had something to offer that they hadn't been used to, that they hadn't experienced, and that was pleasing to them. You know what he did is he made it seem better than it really was. 
Now I want to ask, is there anyone here that has fallen for that line before? Has anyone ever been deceived by the promise of something better than we presently have or what we can currently see? You know, when the Bible, um, while the Bible doesn't tell us that they made the decision as a family to stop, that they didn't uh, didn't make a a decision, it doesn't say they gathered together and they made the, the decision, but I believe that Satan stirred up their discussions. He let them start talking about these new thoughts that they had, these new ideas and what they should do. And finally, they made that decision to stop. And again, I asked myself, what was the deception? And I say it was the deception that started the process, but it was man's sinful nature that took over from there. It was our selfishness that caused them to stay put. Maybe they just got to a place where they were tired of roaming around the land. And wanted to, to grow some grass under their feet. Maybe after years and generations of struggling to survive in the mountains, as they came into the plain, as they came into the flatland, they saw that it had something more to offer. Maybe, just maybe, it was, it was such a beautiful land that the weather was perfect, that it was bountiful, that in their minds, they said, this is where we want to settle down. So they put down some roots. They built a home in the plain of Shinar. Now, maybe this wasn't entirely a bad thing, right? I mean, how else are cities and towns built, right? As people spread across the earth and as they multiplied, the towns and the cities grew. That's because some travelers would come in, some would stay, and then some would go. Some would stay and some would go. And this is how they were spreading and multiplying, doing the will of God. But all at once, these people decided to stay right there. These people of Babel didn't stop with this one sinful act, though. The Bible says in verse 3 that they said to each other, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. So not only did they decide to stop and to stay, but they decided to build bricks, and they decided to build buildings and homes. What does this tell us about their stay in Babel, I asked myself. What it tells me is they'd been there for a little while. They knew the land. They knew the resources. They knew what they had available and what they could use. Now, the Bible tells us that it would be several more generations before the Hebrew people learned how to make the perfect brick back in, 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 in the Egyptian desert. But here in Babel, I believe that the brick-making process was trial and error. They, you know, it took some time. They, I think it took them years before they got it right. You know, they took a little water and they took a little dirt and they stirred it up and they, they formed it and they patted it and they set it in the sun to dry. And when they felt dry, they thought, well, okay, were those okay? Did they feel right? Did they look right? And they stacked them up and were they strong enough? Did they, did they crush them? Did they fall apart? What happened? You know, up. Uh, They stacked them up a little bit. Hey, we got two. We got three rows. And then it came tumbling down. Back to the drawing board. They got to figure it out again. Maybe a little more water, a little more dirt. Maybe this time they get some clay or they go over here to the Euphrates River and they get water from there and they go to the Tigris and they get the clay off the banks. And then over and over they tried until they found a formula that worked, that was able to withstand the elements and hold up to the pressures. So it was years of building, years of trying, years on relying on themselves. But this was years of disobeying God. Until they finally achieved what they had set out to do. They had the perfect brick. 
And so when I look at these verses, I picture them making these bricks, and it makes me think of the bricks that we build in today's world. Bricks, you know. You might ask, what kind of bricks are we building? Well, I'm here to tell you that we're building bricks of disobedience to God's will. We're building bricks of deceit. We're building bricks of sin. We have disrespect. That's a brick. Premarital sex. That's a brick. Extramarital sex. A brick, right? We're seeking for our selfish desires. That's a brick. Homosexual marriage. Living together before you get married. Brick. Murder. Substance abuse. Pornography. Lust. Adultery. Brick, 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 brick. We're building them up and we're stacking them. And you know, some bricks that we have today are just improvements on bricks that were started a long time ago. We have bricks of pride and gluttony, bricks of greed and sloth, wrath and envy. We started as people a long time ago, and we've gotten pretty good at it. The Bible says that all we, like sheep, have gone astray. So I'm here to tell you, Brother Anthony, that when they finally got the bricks to their satisfaction, their sins continued. As we look at verse 4, it says, Then they said, Come. Let us build for ourselves a city and a tower with its top in heaven. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. So they tried to build a tower. That's what they decided. So we're going to build a tower. We're going to take it up to heaven. We're going to try to be like God. We're going to try to overthrow God's will. They decided that they were like God and that they should be worshipped. It was their pride in thinking that they were better than God and that they knew more than God, right? They, they thought that they were so good that they wanted people to worship them. They said they wanted to make a name for themselves. They wanted people to remember them. They wanted people to worship them. You remember somebody else that was like that? Again, I'm going to go back to the Garden of Eden. Even before that, right? His name was Satan. He had that pride. He had that, he had that belief that he was better than God and he deserved the worship. So I believe as they continued, as they wanted to build this, this uh, tower with the bricks that they had made, sin got to a point that it was easy and comfortable for them. It was easy and comfortable for them to, to continue on with their plans to lift themselves up. All the while knowing and ignoring the punishment and consequences from God for their actions. Now let me ask you, isn't that just like us today? We ignore the consequences of our wrongdoings, right? We determine in our minds that God's law somehow doesn't apply to us. And we don't care if we even get caught. Now someone today here might not be a Christian. You say, I don't know God's law. But you know, we do the same thing with man's law. We go, it's, it's as simple as, as speeding, all the way up to murder, right? We do what we want in order to please ourselves, regardless of what the ramifications are. I mean, our prisons are filled with people that thought they could get away with doing what they wanted to do. Who here today can say that they don't know that the penalty of taking another person's life is jail and possibly death? No one here can say that. Right? The promise of years of imprisonment and, li- and isolation, and yet people still decide they want to do things their own way and go against the law. So I ask you, family, are we really so different than these people in Babel? Are we really much different than, than what they did then? 
So as we get back to the story, while the people in Babel made the choice to build the tower, they thumbed their nose at God's will. They thumbed their nose at God's punishment and His wrath. And, you know, I, I think they forgot that God was omniscient, that God was omnipresent, right? And their desire to make a name for themselves and their desire to satisfy their own flesh and their desire to satisfy their own desires and needs, they forgot that God was seeing and knowing the whole time what they were doing, right? Verse 5, it says, Then the Lord came to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. Right? The Lord came down to see. And then verse 6 says, And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have one language. And this is, the only, is only the beginning of what they will do. And that nothing they propose to do will now be impossible for them. So not only did God the Father see and know what they were doing, but he also knew what they were going to do. He also knew what they were going to do if they continued in what they were doing and if they continued in their own sinful ways. God said that this was just the beginning of what they will do. He didn't say might. He said will do. He knew that they would continue on. He saw that they were beginning to feel like they could get away with anything that they desired. He saw that they weren't going to stop there, that their sinful nature, that their pride, that their knowledge would cause them to collaborate together to commit even greater sins. And again, I ask you, family, don't we do the same thing? When we misbehave, when we disobeyed our parents, our bosses, our teachers, our authority figures, you know, we get away with it one time and, and, and nothing happens and And so we think, hey, I can do it again, right? And we do it again, and and we don't get caught, and there's no consequences. And and we start to think, what's to stop us now? This is how a career criminal starts. He doesn't just jump right into robbing banks. No, he starts out with the little things. He starts out with not listening to mom and dad. He starts out with, with bullying people at school. And then he graduates as he continues to go because he... He sees that the consequences don't mean anything to him. So they're off to the races. and So that they, they think that when nobody's looking and nobody's seeing what they're doing, that they're not going to get punished. But sooner or later, I'm here to tell you that somebody sees. Does anybody here remember a time when you were growing up and you got in trouble for something that you did wrong and you wondered, how did, how did mom and dad find out? They weren't here. Nobody told on Well, I hope nobody told on me, right? Now, 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 we know that mom and dad aren't God. And, and mom and dad don't have God's abilities to see and to know everything. But, but those of us that are parents can testify that, that we know our children don't always do the right thing. And, and, and that sometimes we just have a sense that our kids are up to no good, right? And, and I'm telling you, it's not just as kids that we disobey. You know, we disobey our teachers as we grow. We disobey our bosses, our authority figures. Every one of us, we all do it at some time. What are some of the things that we do? We lie, we cheat, we steal, right? We disobey, we're unfaithful, we're full of pride. And what happens when we don't listen to authority? We get punished. We get in trouble. You know, maybe as a child, when you refused to clean your room, you got grounded. Maybe some of us had our mouths washed out with soap for saying something we shouldn't have said. 
Or, or maybe we felt the sting of the belt. <laughs> you know? But did our parents love us any less when they punished us? No, they didn't. They punished us because they loved us. And they wanted the best for us. And they wanted to protect us. You know, for the parents here today, do, do you really want to, to, to punish your kids? Do you really want to, to take a belt to them and to, to, to take things away from them? No. But you love them and you want the best for them. Right? You want to protect them and keep them from harm and from harming themselves. Well, this is exactly what God wants for us. It's exactly what God wants. What happens when we, when we sin against God? We get punished, right? The people uh, here have stopped and decided to build a tower to heaven and to have others worship them. They were sinning and they needed to be punished. It just needed to happen. Did God want to punish them? No. He desires for them to be in communion with Him at all times. He wants to protect them. He wants to protect us. He wants to keep us from harm and from harming ourselves. Right? So like any good father, God just had to punish them for their actions. Right? There's some things that we as parents punish the older child so the younger child will see. Right? So we see in this book, in this holy word of God, how God punishes those who disobey him throughout the generations so that we today can understand his love, understand what he desires, and understand that he has to punish us because he loves us. Our pastor talked about, about uh, getting the ox goat a couple of weeks ago, right? Sometimes we need to get that to get us back in line, right? So what did God do to punish them? Verse 7 and 8 says, Come, let's go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. Verse 8, So the Lord dispersed them from there all over the face of the earth, and they left off building the city. Do you see what God did here? In his punishment, he confused their language. You see, it was God's will, it was his plan all along that the whole earth spoke one language. As they traveled, as the people spread out, as they multiplied, their language and the words that they used remained the same. The location changed, the landscape changed, but their language never did. And one thing for sure, there was, there was never any confusion as to what was said at the family reunion, right? But suddenly they couldn't understand what the other was saying and there was great confusion. Maybe a husband couldn't speak the same language as his wife all of a sudden. Maybe mothers couldn't understand their children and couldn't, children couldn't understand their fathers, right? Friends and cousins and neighbors, all different languages. I mean, could you imagine that if all of a sudden uh, I was standing here and I'd say, Yat ye sam, say, mm, look, chut. I would say, ma lao, right? And then you would hear, bonjour, como se va? <laughs> People be looking at you saying, what's, what's going on here, right? What if, what if you could only speak English and the person next to you only could speak Spanish, right? What if it was German or Italian? I, and I know Dr. Bruce over here, he knows all the languages. I heard he said that was Chinese, right? I don't think, do you know a little Farsi? Okay. <laughs> so all the many languages in the world were suddenly spoken at one time. No one was able to understand each other, right? 
So, so I think that maybe instead of uh, them staying with their family, instead of them staying with their mother, their father, their children, their aunts and their uncles, that the, the people came together because they had something in common, and that was that language. Man, might have been somebody they'd known before, but they can understand them. They could communicate with them, so they joined together. And when those people gathered and joined together speaking the same language, they ended up separating from the other people. They separated from those that they didn't understand, and they spread across the land, creating new cities and new towns. And as they traveled and spread, their groups grew in number, and they were finally doing what God wanted them to do all along, right? He said, be fruitful and multiply and, and, and cover the earth, right? And do you remember what I said earlier about what, that, that, that God loves us, right, even though we don't disobey? He says that that, that, then we disobey, God still loves us, but he punishes us, right? He punishes us. But, you know, when I look at these verses, I saw something different. Most people, most preachers, and and when I mentioned this to a couple of my brothers last night, and I said, I'm talking about Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel. They said, ah, confusion. You're going to talk about confusion. Well, maybe. There is confusion in here, but what God said to me was, this is a picture of the mercy of the Master. In these verses, God is showing us what His mercy is like. So what exactly is mercy? The dictionary tells us that mercy means that it's compassion or forgiveness towards someone when it's in your power to punish them. Right? Mercy is deserving punishment because of what you did but not getting the punishment that you deserve. Do you, do, you, do you know what I mean? I mean, today, mercy is when, when children, when they don't listen, they get a timeout instead of a spanking, right? Mercy is when you get in trouble for not cleaning your room and you just get grounded, but you still got your iPhone, right? Mercy is the police officer saying, I clocked you at 90 miles an hour, but I'm going to write the ticket for 65, right? Mercy is getting suspended instead of getting fired, So God is doing the same thing here with the people of Babel. He's showing them mercy. He could have simply punished them like he did in the past for the others who had sinned and disobeyed his will. But instead, he showed them mercy. So let's take inventory of their actions, of their sins. They decided not to move anymore. They decided to be disobedient. They built bricks, you know. They put sin upon sin upon sin. Their pride led them to elevate themselves up to the heavens. They did this in their minds, in their hearts, and in their physical location. All the while, they knew there would be consequences for their actions, and they still went against God's word. So for all of these sins, God is right, and he is just to bring them punishment. He could have brought them a drought or famine. He could have used a great earthquake to destroy their city and the tower that they were building. God could have killed them for being disobedient. But instead, he showed them mercy. God let them live, but his punishment to the people was still a punishment for their sins. Because of their pride, God confused their language. Because of their desire to be like God and have others look up to them, he separated their families. Because they made the decision to go up against what God told them to do, God mixed up life the way that they knew it and spread them across the earth. But I'm here to tell you that it was God's mercy that this is all the punishment that they got. He didn't make them sick and he didn't give them disease. That's mercy. 
God has shown his people mercy throughout time. Every time that they sinned, he didn't give them what they deserved. And that's because of his love. He pours out his mercy upon them. You know, this is who God is. And this is what God does, right? I told you that this book, this Holy Bible is filled of stories of what God has done, what his people have done. And it tells us every time that there's punishment for our sins. Adam and Eve's disobedience in the Garden of Eden, there was punishment, but there was still mercy, right? Before this story here of Noah's family uh, traveling across the earth, there was the story of Noah himself. The Bible says that when God looked, he saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, that every intention of the thoughts of their hearts was evil. The Bible then said that God was sorry that he had even made man on the earth, and it made him grieve. He decided that since all he found was evil, wickedness, and sin on the earth, he was going to wipe out every living creature but God. He found something different. Genesis chapter 6 verse 8 says, when he saw Noah, he saw a blameless and righteous man. It says that Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And it was because of Noah and his character that God showed mercy upon Noah and his entire family. While all men deserve to die because of their evilness, God decided not to proclaim his judgment upon all of the people, and he showed his mercy. He saved them. So here, 339 years later, after God's mercy on Noah, the people of the earth once again begin to sin greater than ever before. But I'm telling you, because of God's mercy, these people here in Shinar, they didn't suffer the physical harm that they desired. God showed them mercy and he let them live. He let them live. He loved them enough not to give them the punishment that they had deserved, and he let them live. You know, God's mercy is evident throughout the Scripture. Doesn't that make you happy? I know it makes me happy because it shows a pattern for God. Because of His love for us, He shows us mercy when we deserve so much more. Throughout time, God remains the same. It's we who change. The Bible says that God is unchanging and that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. God saved them in the yesterdays of long ago. He showed them mercy and He gave them a way back to Him. The promises that He made with His people and to His people throughout the Bible are just as valid for us today. Right? We see the rainbow and we know that's a promise that God will never again destroy the earth through a great flood. Right? God has promised that He would never leave us or forsake us. So that's His mercy. That's His mercy. Now, maybe you're sitting here, and I talked a little earlier. Maybe you're someone here today who, who, who has never confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you, you, you never have, have accepted that free gift, and, and you're sitting there thinking, well, that's great for the people of God. They've got mercy. But what, what about me? Where's my mercy? Well, let me tell you, he's showing you his mercy because you're sitting here right now. And it's more than this, that you're here to hear the message. It's more that you're here to hear about God's love and His mercy and His plan. His mercy is that you're living despite not accepting the free gift of salvation. You woke up this morning, right? You still have a chance to repent and get it right with God. That's His mercy, 
right? He could have let you stop breathing in the middle of the night, and it would have been all over. But his mercy, his mercy is all about and all around you. You know, I heard the radio preacher say that God is a God of forgiveness and beginning again. Failures are not fatal or final. And to me, that's mercy. So family, as, as I come to my close, let me tell you the best thing about God's mercy. The best thing about God's mercy is that it has a brother. And that brother's name is Grace. It is His mercy that we don't get the punishment that we've earned. And it's God's grace that gives us something we don't deserve. Right? Ephesians 2, verses 3 through 5 said, Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of His great love for us, God, who was rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. Family, God's love for us is unchanging. And about 2,000 years ago, when God saw that the world was filling with even more sin, and that we as a people couldn't escape our sins, that we couldn't keep His law or follow His way, it was because of His love that He decided to show the greatest mercy of all. It was God's mercy that He sent His Son, Jesus, to pay for our sins for once and for all. It was God's mercy that came to us by the way of the little baby boy that was born of the virgin girl. It was God's love that continued as Jesus grew and He never sinned. God's mercy was on display when Jesus was arrested, when He was beaten and He was hung on the cross for our sins. It was God's grace that meant that Jesus paid the price for all of our sins, for all times. It was God's love that let His Son die on that cross on Golgotha's hill that Friday night. It was God's love that put Jesus in a borrowed tomb. And it was God's mercy and His grace that early one Sunday morning that He raised Jesus from the grave all so that you and I might experience His grace, His love, and His mercy. Family, let's pray. Father God, we thank You today. We thank you for your word because it tells us so much about you. We thank you, O oh God, because, Lord, we don't deserve your mercy. We deserve punishment. We deserve separation. But, Lord, our love is not like your love. And you've loved us so much that you sent your son, Jesus. I pray today, O oh God, that somebody today was encouraged knowing that no matter what their situation is, that your mercy is great. I pray today, O oh God, that somebody that, that may not know who you are, O oh Master, would grab a hold of that gift of salvation today, that the mercy and the grace would fall upon them, and that they would be with you forever. So come, Lord Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit, draw us closer, that we may go deeper and deeper. We love you and we praise you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.